As you have a seat, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then I also want you to turn to Psalm 51. We're going to be in, uh, in two sections today, and really why is because I've got to kind of lay some context out, right? Like uh, anytime you take the Bible out of context, you can actually make the Bible say what you want it to say, okay? So it's important. Context matters, right? Just like conversation. If you were to watch a conversation, you get the whole thing. Oftentimes you'll see things are different. Our media completely misconstrues that oftentimes because they'll take a sentence of somebody uh, and they make it do different things. But context matters. Everybody say that. Context. 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 I hope you get that through your mind because context does matter in every circumstance throughout Scripture. So we're going to be in Psalm 51. We're going to unpack Psalm 51, but in order to understand Psalm 51, I need to share with you a little bit about um, why David came to this point in Psalm 51. So if you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, and here's the background, right? David had become king. David was out on his back patio kind of getting ready to get into the hot tub or something, maybe, I don't know. And he looks over his railing and he sees a hot woman named Bathsheba. And he's like, hey, go get that lady for me. I kind of like her. And he does. He goes and he gets Bathsheba and, and uh, he brings her out and he ends up having a, a, a sexual relationship with her. He ends up getting her pregnant. Bathsheba's married to Uriah, who is one of the head. He's the, the leader of of the Israelite army at this point, and he finds out, David finds out Bathsheba's pregnant, and so he sends Uriah to the front lines to be killed, because it's an easy way to cover up his sin, right? And here's the reality of what we're going to be dealing with today. It's called owning your sin, owning our sin. It's the reality that most people, and I'll I'll even say it in this avenue or in this way, a lot of churches some churches, I won't say a lot of churches, some churches tend to overlook this, not talk about it, not deal with it. And really what we have to get to is this. In order for you and I to have a healthy relationship with God, we have to own our sin. You have to own your sin. I have to own my sin. Here's the struggle. Most of us like to look at the sin of everybody else and go, well, yeah, but mine's not as bad, right? Like, I was never David. I never went to the full extent of what David did. So I want to set that context. Here's in a short, quick way. That is what happened with David. David used his authority. David used his power. He he found this girl. He really liked her. He ends up killing uh, her husband as a result of his own sin. And so I want you to see this, that sin doesn't just affect you. It affects others. And when we allow sin to infiltrate our life, to control our life, it will lead to that destruction, not just in our own life, but it's going to lead to destruction in others' life. So here's the context. Before David gets to Psalm 51, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two rich men, or two men, sorry, in a certain town. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, I love this. David burned with anger against that, the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, none of us like to be confronted with sin, do we? None of us like somebody else to draw out or point out our sins in our own life. But sometimes that's exactly what we need. Sometimes we need a friend or a prophet who's going to come to us and say, listen, brother, you're out of line. Listen, dude, you've got to get your act in order. Listen, you have done things that not only are against other people, but you have sinned against God. And when this happens, what we see in David is this reality, this truth, this, this coming of age to a certain extent when he tells him, you are this man. And David comes and he begins to see what exactly he's done. So in verse 8, or verse 9, sorry, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And he begins to draw out exactly what David had done. Now, today as we dig into this, as we look, some of us have a small and inadequate view of sin in our own lives. And some of us have a small and inadequate view of God's glory and God's mercy. So as we dig into Psalm chapter 51... I want you to remind it. Matter of fact, if you were to look over in your Bible, it probably says right at the start for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So it gives you the context of everything that is going on here. Everything that David's trying to lay out. Others of us have fallen into sin and wonder if there's any hope, Right? Maybe you deal with a certain sin that's going on and on and over and over and you just can't seem to break the curse or the problem of it. And you need to understand the forgiveness that God has for you. There are others who daily battle against sin. And listen, every one of us, this psalm is for. For every individual who is here today, this psalm is for you. This is an echo or a cry of a person who's dealing with his own internal battle with sin. And before any of us cast a stone at anybody else, this whole idea is for you and I to look internally in our own lives. Like, how do we relate? How do we connect? What's the truth that we can apply to our life? See, the issue is not whether Christians sin or not. We all do, right? The issue is how do I understand sin? Do I continue in sin or do I confess it and give it to God? Last week, I brought this whole idea up that if you've confessed your sins, that God is faithful and just, right? He forgives us of any and all unrighteousness as far as the East is from the West, right? He doesn't remember it. It's gone. It's forgotten. And I told you, or I said that if you have a sin that is constantly drugged back up, that is thrown back in your face, if you have confessed it, then who's bringing it up? Satan does. 
It's not God. It's Satan. God doesn't come back and go, hey, you remember when? Why? Because he's faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness once we confess it. So there's this truth that we have to begin to unpack, that we own our sin. And when we own our sin, our sin doesn't own us. When we own our sin and we turn it over to God, then we're able to walk in the freedom that God gives day in and day out. Psalm 51 is a prayer of confession and cleansing that I believe that we should think through and pray through daily. Listen to how he starts off. And I'm going to read this section by section as we unpack this. Listen to verses 1 and 2. This is Psalm 51. And again, keep in mind, this is David. After he's just been confronted by a friend, a prophet. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, this psalm brings together the painful reality and the depth of sin and the wonder of God's divine mercy. There is a great depth to the sin that each of us carry, but it also reveals the great depth of God's mercy. It brings to light that God is gracious and patient. He is loving. As a matter of fact, I want to draw your attention to a number of things, um, but I do want to bring out some things today that I, I think are going to be just things that we have to apply to our life. Psalm 51 is a heart check, it is an evaluation, an internal inspection of my own life. And so my question would be to you today is this, can you do the heart check? Based upon God's word, allow God's word to internally inspect your life and to reveal what you need to turn over to him. Here's the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's mercy is greater than all our sin when we confess it to him. God's mercy is greater than all our sin when we confess it to him. This is huge. This has to be an understanding, but I want to unpack these things in a very simple way. Number one is this, that God's mercy is unmatched. Listen again what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Everybody say, unfailing love. The mercy of God is unmatched and unmerited. In other words, it is unfailing as well. So when I go to God and I say, God, listen, I understand my sinfulness. I understand the, the point and the place that I've been. I understand the things that I've, I have caved into. I have, have given control of my life and I confess them to him. When I confess it to him, then it gives me an understanding and it, it really pours out God's mercy upon me. See, we didn't earn the mercy or grace of God. He gave it to us. We didn't buy it or purchase it by good deeds. He willingly sacrificed himself through, the, through Jesus' death on the cross. Unfailing love is the very nature of God in every circumstance and every situation. Unfailing. Now, put that in your mindset. Anybody ever failed at anything? Like, there's all kinds of things. Like, we could sit back and go, oh, yeah, that was an utter failure. <laughs> that was a complete, like completely unsuccessful, right? Like, like there's things you can go back and look at and just be like, yeah, that was a failure, right? But God doesn't look and go, oh, yeah, my love failed there. 
God's unfailing love is played out in our lives. And please hear me out when I say this. Sin, when it is pointed out to us, should lead us to God's unfailing love. It should point us to the greatness and the goodness and the majesty of who God is and what God wants to accomplish. And conviction, when conviction comes upon me, it's God's love upon you. He's, he's showing his love. He's trying to say, listen, you're out of line, but listen, my love is unending. It is unmatched. It is unfathomable. You can't even begin to wrap your mind around it. It's, it's the way it's set up. God laid it out that way. His love is supernatural. It is overwhelming. His compassion is second to none. And these are the basis for every appeal and confession we make to the Lord. Listen again one more time what he says. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. That's my sins. Wash all my iniquity away and cleanse me from my sin. That's the whole point that Jesus came in the first place. To wash us whiter than snow. To wash away the sins that we are so easily entangled by. So it's important for us to understand if we want to walk a foolproof life, then we have to begin to understand God's unmatched mercy. And all of this comes by owning our sin. Here's, here's what I find funny, right? How oftentimes do we know the sin that's in our lives but don't want to own it? Right? Like, I always go back to this statement, right? My wife and I always joke around. And even when I'm wrong, I'm right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like and we, it's a joke. It literally is. But it, at the same time, has become one of those jokes that at times she'll be like, who's wrong? And I'm like, I never admit I'm wrong, right? Like, it's, it's that funny thing. But listen, that's exactly how our life goes with sin, right? Like, we know we've sinned. God's laid it out before us. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to own it. Because if I own it, what's that mean? Well, I got to take responsibility. And if I take responsibility, that means I got to claim responsibility for everything that happened as a result of it. And we don't like that. And what's funny is here's the story with David, right? David is confronted by Nathan and Nathan lays it out and David's like, bro, that dude should die. It's you. Wait a second. That dude shouldn't die. Let me change my stance on this point. And all of us do that. Don't, isn't it so easy? Because we look at the person that's next to us, or we look at a friend, or we look at a person at church, or maybe it's just somebody who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't go to church, and we're like, look at that sinner, and look at the sin they're doing. And we don't take an internal evaluation of our own lives. We don't confess our sins daily to Jesus and turn them over to him. Listen, today's idea is this, that, we, that, that I want you to be able to go to Jesus day in and day out and confess your sins. Why? Because he is faithful and just. Because his mercies are new every morning. Because as far as the east is from the west, he's going to forgive you of your sins. That his love is so immaculate, so great, so, so majestic, that no matter what you do, you can confess your sins because he's faithful and just, but you have to own it. God's mercy is unmatched. Number two is this, our sin is numerous. Look at verses three and following. David pours this out, for I know my transgressions. See, here's, here's the truth. 
Each one of us knows sins that we've committed. And maybe you've done a great job of hiding it from your wife, your kids, your coworkers, maybe people in the church. You know your sins. You know the transgressions you committed. And David lays this out, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Listen, I don't know about you, but I think about it consistently. God, where in my life has my sin just been consistent before me? But I love verse four. In the midst of sin and sinning against even other people, what does he say? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts and you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Now, as I unpack this and I talk about this idea of our sin being numerous, we have to take responsibility and that's exactly what David's saying right here. He says, I know my transgressions. I see my own life. I see my wicked heart. I see my wicked ways and I begin to own it. And as I begin to own it, I always realize and see that my sin is before me. And when I see my sin is before me, I have to acknowledge against you and you only have I sinned. So there are a couple things that we unpack here in this simple part of this text. And there are these ideas and thoughts, right? That we oftentimes hear, well, the devil made me do it. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Angel. White angel, black angel, right? Or is the white angel the devil if you watched Looney Tunes back in the day? You remember that one? It'd pop up and you'd be like, God, don't do that. No, you got to do this. No, don't do that. And what always happens? Almost always they, t- they chose the devil's way, right? The Satan's way. So we come up with these ideas or these excuses like the devil made me do it or I had a bad day or that person deserved it or if you only knew what they had done. Listen, nowhere in scripture, here's, here's one thing that you have to begin to kind of wrap our minds around. Nowhere in scripture does God condone sin as a result of sin from somebody else. See, that's politics. That's exactly what goes on in American politics. Well, they did this, so we're going to do that. Oh, great. That makes it right. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever allow a person to sin as a result of the sin of other people. Never kosher. Never good. Never all right. Never does he accept that. Never is it okay in God's way. See, we know our sins. They're ever before us. And David took ownership of his own sin when he was confronted with it, right? Like, here's what's crazy, though. Like, it took Nathan to confront David. As you think about that, think through some of these things, because here's one of the struggles oftentimes as a pastor is I'll I'll hear people like, well, such and such did. Well, they did. Okay, but that doesn't condone or excuse the sin that we live with day in and day out. It's never all right. Don't rationalize, minimize, or excuse what you have done. It's our job, it's my job to be responsible for who? Brian Grout. I can't control everybody else, right? Even with words, like, like, think about this. 
How many times do we hurt each other, family, friends, coworkers, things like that, with cross words, or they've hurt us? Can you control them? No, but you can control who? You. You can control your response. You can take ownership of your ways. That's the only thing you can do. And so it's my job to own my own sin, to to live under the grace and mercy of God as he pours out in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. David lived in denial until he was confronted and listened to the sins of the person, right? He, He was constantly in denial until he was confronted by Nathan. And up to that point, really, he wanted to see the sins of that individual punished, until he realized it was his own. Owning sin is each one of our responsibilities. See, when we sin against others, when our sin affects others, then we sin not against them or not just against them, but in truth or the the reality is that we sin against God. Every time we approach this way, we understand that we sin against God. When I don't love my neighbor, it's showing hate to him, obviously but it's sinning against God. When I treat somebody with a racist attitude, while it is an offense against a person, you're sinning against God. They were created in his image. When I treat somebody with an unbiblical spirit or a a condescending way or a, a, a negative attitude, you're sinning not against just them, you're sinning against God. When I have a prideful spirit and I don't want to listen to other people who may want to point out a right way because scripture tells me that way, then I'm sinning against God. Notice the condition of the sin. This is important for us to understand this. If you look at verse five, there's this idea of this condition that he's laying out. David comes in and he says, surely I was sinful from when? Birth. From the time I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was sinful. Now, this is a key truth that you have to understand. This is a biblical truth that the world wants to deny. When does sin start? You can cheat. It's on the screen. When does it start? When you're conceived. At birth. You and I have been sinners. Now, here's what the world wants to say. No way. That's not that way. You have to be taught to do bad things. Nope. The Bible says, from birth, you are a sinner. You are born in sin. The reason Jesus was born of a virgin and the supernatural work of God, literally, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those things, if you grew up Mormon, listen, this is the off theology that they teach. They teach that God the Father had a sexual relationship with Mary. Read the Bible. It was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. No sexual activity carried away in any way, shape, or form. Supernaturally, God says, Mary, you are supernaturally pregnant with the Savior of the world. Do you want to know why? Because there is no bloodline. There is only perfection. There is no imperfection of the blood work of what would be man and woman coming together. There is only perfection in God. God does this supernaturally. Jesus is born. He is born sinless. He's the only one that's born that way. 
And it's important for us to play that out. Why? Because surely I was sinful from birth, David says. So he lays it out, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then here's what Jesus or what God desires for us, right? Listen to what he says. Yet you desired truth in the inner parts. You teach me with wisdom in the inmost place. Listen, even in the midst of sin, God's desire is that you would understand the truth, that inwardly you would know the truth, you would own the truth, you would own your responsibility for sin, and you could walk in the grace and mercy of Jesus day in and day out. Why? Because God desires faithfulness in the inner parts. That's why in Scripture it's very clear that he desires obedience not sacrifice. Here's the struggle in, Ameri- in, the, in the American church to a certain extent today. We're good at sacrifice. Like, look what I give financially. Look at where I serve. Look at all of these things I do when obedience is what matters. You could serve in the kids' ministry. You can walk out the doors and be disobedient to God day in and day out. And God says, basically, everything that you're doing in the kids' ministry is nothing. Why? Because he desires obedience over sacrifice. So we take ownership of our sin because our sin is so numerous. And then, I mean, I'm just reminded of Hebrews chapter three. I'm gonna flip over there and, 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 and read this. Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse eight, says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Listen, one of the things when we deal with sin is this idea that we want to harden our hearts. We don't want to acknowledge the truth. And so there are things that the world is saying is okay. There are things that they're saying like God created you as an accident. That, that you obviously got some things that you need to decide. And if you want to decide to live a different way, then that's okay. And that's false. Why? Because you were born from birth as an individual who is a sinner. And I can't use my life and my choices and my emotional feelings to choose the direction I want to go when it's in blatant disregard to what God has called you to be, what God has called you to do, and what God's scripture says. Nobody likes to hear this. We don't like the prophet coming to us. We don't like God's word correcting where we're wrong. And that's sin. Our sin is numerous. But here's number three. Confession invites God to work. Listen to what happens in verses seven and following. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Then he says in verse 10, create in me a a clean heart or a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Listen, here's the struggle when we talk about this. This whole idea of confession invites God's work. As you begin to look at what takes place as David is confessing, listen to what he says. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. David has taken ownership, but at the same time, he is confessing his guilt. He already said earlier, against you and you only have I sinned. But he's confessing it and then he's asking for 
a cleansing, for forgiveness. Matter of fact, if, if you were to look up this, the, the word hyssop, I want you to understand that hyssop was like this kind of like a wheat type thing. It would be like a grass or things like that. And it was used at religious ceremonies. And what they would do is they would dip the hyssop in the blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar. Now, it was a way to remove the sins of the people. As you can go back to the Old Testament, and it'll talk about things like that. But when David is laying this out, he's saying, cleanse me with hyssop. In other words, cleanse me with your blood. Forgive me of my sins. Here's what's crazy. Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet, but, G- but David understands the importance of sacrifice. That Jesus one day would make the greatest sacrifice, which would be his death on the cross for our sins. And so he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. That comes with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Sin is painful. And I'm not going to lie that when we own our own sin, that sometimes there is pain that comes in it because we have to be crushed. We have to be broken. And he even goes on and he says it, right? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you know every individual that was used in Scripture was broken, crushed? They had to confess sins. They had to own their sins. They had to get to a point where it was no longer about them, but it was about God. And whatever God would say, whatever God would do, they would say, hey, God, here I am. Use me, send me. But every individual in Scripture was broken in some way. Every one of them. And all I can tell you is this. When you own your sin, when you turn it over to God, when you ask for His cleansing work, when confession invites God to work in you, I want you to know this, that God's going to break you. God has to break each and every one of us. And David petitions God for forgiveness and for internal renewal. And this is is a time of great brokenness in David's life. Imagine being the king and then having the prophet come against you. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the prophets always came to the kings. And you'll know one thing about Saul and David and Solomon was Saul, not, yeah, he was about 50-50. Sometimes he did what he wanted to do and sometimes he did what God did. David was a man after God's own heart, even in the midst of sinning, because David, once he was broken, he was obedient. And so it's important for us to keep this in mind that once God breaks us, then we need to walk in obedience. When I confess my sins, then I open the door or invite God in to do the work that only God can do. We fulfill desires and and lusts and longings and passions that don't come from God, but come from ourselves. But when we confess them, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. One that's going to stay firm to the call that you have given us. And then he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Can I tell you one of the greatest struggles I think that most Christians struggle with? We don't walk in joy in our salvation. And here's oftentimes I believe the reason why. 
because we like to hold on to our sin. And the more I hold on to my sin and I'm not willing to turn it over and I'm not willing to own it and I'm not willing to confess it and I'm not asking God to forgive me of it, then the less joy you're going to have in the salvation of your life. But a believer who lives knowing that his sin is ever in front of him, a believer that's reminded daily of God's grace and mercy through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, taking the ownership and realizing what goes on, then you walk with joy and salvation. Do you understand the greatness of God's mercy in the gospel? When I hear people say, well, that's great, but I need to experience something new. The only new you're going to get is Jesus' daily renewal in your life. You should be so overwhelmed by God's graciousness and God's mercy that you walk with joy in your salvation because of God's grace, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Christians today need to remember daily, daily, you need to remind yourself of the gospel. Day in and day out. So that I can see God work in a great way. Notice, notice the progression of these words. He says, cleanse, wash, and blot out. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, a, an internal renewal that God wants to pour out. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He lays all of those things out. Why? Because confession invites God's work in our lives. If you want to see God work in your life, then you need to be a person who lives with confession on your mouth daily. That when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of any and all unrighteousness. And here's the fourth thing I want us to see. That when we understand that God's mercy is greater than our sin, when we confess it to him, then there's this fourth thing that I think David lays out, that we get to praise him with our life. You know, most of us make worship all about music. It's all about the songs we sing. But worship is a life. Romans chapter 12 talks about that. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Holy. Holy means separate, set apart, different, not of the world, pure. And he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Listen, when we praise him with our life, then there are some things that we get to be a part of. Listen to what he says in verse 13. As a result of the worship that goes on in our life, David confesses his sins. He, he owns his sins, first of all. He, he remembers God's mercy. He owns his sins. His confession invites God's work into his life. And then, as a result of that, David gets to praise him with his life. Because listen to what he says. Then... Then I will teach transgressors your ways. In other words, I will teach those who walk in sin. I will teach them your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Here's three things just in these simple verses. Number one, that when we walk in obedience, when we uh, praise him with our life, we teach sinners his ways. 
Like as I live a life of obedience, people who don't know who Jesus is see his ways lived out in me, and as a result, we teach him his ways. Here's number two. We get to sing and praise about him. Now listen, I know that music is not necessarily for everybody. I know that I've had men, oftentimes, most of the time, it's usually men. Men, for some reason, don't like to sing. Um, We listen to talk radio and things like that, and I get it. But I also want you to know this. I don't think you can keep your mouth shut when you come into the reality and truth and hope of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Like, I get the tough macho man American experiment, right? I'm not going to sing. Do you all realize what's going to go on in heaven? I can't wait. Like, some of y'all who are like, imagine what it's going to be like. Worship. Never-ending worship. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what's going on in my life is a result of what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my heart is just merely echoed through my words that I speak. Now listen, this is not about like condemning or condescending to you who don't sing. But all I can say is this, get a grip, get a grasp. Get a view of just who God is and what God wants to do and just try. Let God overflow in your heart and let the words of your mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. That's what Psalm says. So I sing and I praise with great joy. Worship and words come as a result of the freedom given through Jesus. How can I keep from singing? There was a song by Chris Tomlin a long time ago that that said that. How can I keep from singing your praise? Why? Because he come into a, the reality of who you are and who God is, and all he wants to do is say, listen, I, I got this. All I can figure is this. David. Let's think about David. Shepherd boy David. Like all you hunters, right? Like I'm a hunter. Like to think that I'm the tough guy, right? I live on my own, could survive in the wilderness. David, look at what he did with his bare hands. Like last I checked, none of y'all killed a bear with your bare hands. None of y'all took on an army, a nine foot six behemoth of a dude by yourself with a couple rocks. Like, I'd like to think I could, but I'm pretty sure if I looked at a guy that's nine six, I'd be like, yep, see you later. David is a man's man. David was a guy who's like, look, I don't care who you are. We'll fight. We'll go. Let's tussle. And so when I hear guys go, well, I'm kind of a man's man, so music ain't in me. David, dude, David walks into the city undignified is what scripture says because he was pouring his heart out to God. So listen when I say this. When I hear American men who are tough and macho go, yeah, I really don't like to sing much. What I hear is this. I don't think you've given your heart completely to God. That's the sin aspect that comes in of like, I just, I'm going to hold on to this thing because I can't completely turn it all over to him. Song and praise is what he lays out. And the last thing is the sacrifice of our life. 
verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Remember what I already talked about, that he breaks your spirit. I believe the reason we oftentimes won't sing and won't worship is because we haven't allowed our spirit to be broken. But what God desires is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. What that means is this, God, I get it. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I am weak. I am helpless. I am hopeless. I am hurt. I'm done. I'm sunk with sin. But there's always these two great words, and I call them the biggest, two biggest words in the Bible, but God. You want to offer your body as a sacrifice? When you sacrifice your life, when you sacrifice what goes on, what he says is this, that we, what we bring is a humble spirit, that God wants in humility for you to acknowledge your brokenness and your weakness, and he will give you the strength. And that's where we finish up. That's where we wrap up. That's why I bring up Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, Psalm 51, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. And I could even throw in maybe there, right there, broken. Because that's what God desires. That's what God wants. And that is how God works in your life to restore the joy of your salvation. When I own my sin and I invite God into it through confession so that he can do the work that only he can do. Then as a result of that, I get to experience all that God wants to do in my life from here on out. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And God, I pray that our words would not be just mere words of walking or going through the motions. God, I pray today, maybe there's somebody who who, who's been dealing and struggling with sin consistently. Matter of fact, I would say that all of us deal with and struggle with sin consistently. But God, may we have a high glimpse, a great view of your mercy and your unfailing love. God, help us to own our sin. Help us not to think that we can hide our sin. But God, may we be people who confess our sin, turning it over to you, not trying to carry it on our own, not creating a worry or a burden that we can't carry, but turning it over to you. God, may we be people who look at our sin and our own inward sin first. And as we look inwardly, may we speak the words of truth that those who are walking in sin would see and have a change of heart. They would see the goodness of Jesus, his unfailing mercy, his never-ending and unmatched love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. you have a song? Or are we going right in? All right. Here's what I want to do real quick before I open this up to you. Sorry. If you made a decision today, maybe, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Would you grab that card? Let us know. Would you grab me? I'm going to be right here at the back doors. Let's just have a conversation. 